0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick chat about raising capital. Today's show is brought to you by the secrets of successful syndication. If you've exhausted your own funds to invest in real estate, you've brought your own real estate career to a halt developing the skill to raise capital legally, reliably, and professionally might be just what you need to unlock the ceiling on your investment portfolio. This two-day workshop maps out how to transform your business into one where you enlist the help and capital of others to scale your business. It's hosted by my good friends Robert Helms and Russell Gray of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show. March 27th and 28th in Dallas, Texas it will be a chance for us to meet in person. For more information, go to victorjm.com slash events. That's victorjm.com slash events. We are back here on the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today, we've got a great guest, not exactly from the world of real estate, but in fact, from the world of business. All the way from Moncton, New Brunswick. Welcome to the show, David Barnett. Hey, Victor. Thanks for inviting me. So, David, you come from a slightly different space. You've been a business broker for many years. These are the folks that buy and sell businesses, whether you're looking to sell a travel agency or an engineering firm, anything like that, that they would approach someone like you to sell their business. Why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this particular segment?
1: Yeah, sure. Um Uh, First of all, I I do feel a little bit of kinship with your listeners because at different points, I've owned a bunch of small apartment buildings and um, bought and sold them and managed them myself. And so I know all the pain and misery of chasing people for rent and and having to arrange for things to get repaired and and all that other stuff. I was at one time a finance broker. And so I was helping small and medium-sized businesses with obtaining money to grow uh, their business. And I would get approached by people who were looking to buy an already functioning business. And then we got into that financial crisis, the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009. And a lot of the different companies that I was using as a source of capital ended up going under in that time. And so I realized I needed to make some kind of pivot myself. And I realized that a lot of those people who were looking for money to buy established businesses were having a hard time because they weren't able to find any really good advisors or people to help them through the process. And so I saw the opportunity in business brokerage. I first got into it by joining a large international franchise brand as a broker, and I chose them because it gave me access to training. And so I was able to complete a certification program over the course of a couple of years while I worked in the field. Eventually, I got out of it, and today I work with buyers and sellers as a a private transaction advisor, which is basically doing the same work, except instead of representing a party and earning a commission, I advise people and build them for my service along the way. I
0: love that. One of the things that is certainly true in today's environment, there's millions of small businesses all over North America that are scheduling to shut down. and What I mean by that is these are businesses that are owned by that wonderful generation called the baby boomers. And three quarters of those folks are owning and running those businesses with no succession plan in place. we've talked about this before on the show, where a lot of those businesses will simply shut down and those people will be thrown out of work because there is no buyer, there is no succession plan for that business ultimately to get sold. What have you seen in the marketplace?
1: Well, it's a great question, actually, Victor. And I think before we start talking about the marketplace, I think we need to address one of the words that you used. Um, You called them businesses. And while technically, if you organize an LLC or a corporation or or some form of legal entity, and you have customers and you make sales and you serve people, it is a business, I like to break down the term a little bit more. So when I'm looking at a business with one of my clients, uh, a buyer, let's say, one of the things that we need to do is we need to normalize the profit and loss or or income statement, and so we go along and we look at every expense line that the business has, and we ask ourselves if this business had been bought 12 months ago and run completely by the book, would this expense still exist? So oftentimes in small businesses, you'll have people who put personal expenses in the business for tax reasons or or what have you, but one of the chief things that happens in one of these small businesses is that the people who run them don't necessarily take a fair market wage out of them so when we go through and do this normalization process the buyer who's looking at the business not only are they making an investment in a business but oftentimes they're also buying a job most of these small businesses are going to be owned and run by the same person they're going to become the general manager and As a person who works as a general manager, you need to earn two types of returns. Number one, you need to get paid a fair wage for the work you're going to do every day. And then number two, you should have some kind of investment return for risking your capital and acquiring the business. So back to definitions. When we look at these small businesses, we look at the normalized cash flow, and then we have to make a decision. If the buyer buys this business, are they going to earn less? equal to or more than what they would earn doing the same work for another employer. And if the business will pay them less than what they would earn doing the same kind of work for an employer, then I don't call it a business, Victor. I call it a hobby.
0: I agree with that.
1: Yeah, because the owner of that business is subsidizing the enterprise. And if the person would earn just as much money as they would earn working for somebody else, it's still not a business in my book. It's a job. And so... If you look at the world of you know small plumbing outfits, guys who install shingles, they might own their own business, but at the end of the day, if they're left with the same amount of money they would earn working for somebody else, they don't really own a business, they own a job. It's only when the owner can pay themselves a fair market wage for the work that they do and then have a profit over and above that, that we truly have a small business. And if that profit is significant, well, then we get into a whole new level. Uh, I often refer to those guys as enterprises.
0: I agree with that completely. In fact, I was probably making the assumption that you and I had a very similar definition of what a business is, which is that you need to be able to extricate the business owner from the business, send them for three months to go hang out on the beach, and the business needs to continue to run itself absent the owner and if that's not true then it isn't a business like you said it's a job that requires a capital investment in order to get that job it's got to be a standalone business one that you can remove the owner and it is a standalone entity so i agree with that completely
1: so then the question of why are so few of them selling number one a bunch of those businesses that don't sell are the hobbies and jobs first of all but then there's another different kind of category. And these are the businesses that I refer to as zombie businesses or, or businesses that contain zombie capital. Of course, a zombie is not really dead, but it's not really alive. And what what I call zombie capital is when capital's been tied up into something that doesn't lead to any kind of return. So imagine, if you will, a business that's been around for 40 or 50 years. And at one time it was making a lot of money. And in that period of time, they paid off all of their debts. Maybe the business owns significant capital equipment, they own trucks, they own inventory, they've got a building even, let's say. And now the business is operating and the owners are taking home what they believe is a pretty good income from the business. But if I sat down and I looked at that business as a potential buyer, what I may discover that the cash flow being generated by that business is actually not sufficient to give a rate of return on the value of the assets that have been accumulated in the business. So if that business were paying rent by being in somebody else's real estate, for example, that reasonable or more healthy take-home revenue that the owner exists is enjoying today would be much lower, wouldn't it? And so in that particular example, the capital accumulated in the real estate is actually subsidizing the activity of a business that isn't really as good as people believe. I actually did a a presentation about this on my YouTube channel about a hardware store in Massachusetts, where I showed that no one would be able to buy the business and get an adequate rate of return because of the value of the assets within the business. And so that's another category for a reason why some of these businesses aren't going to end up selling. But the, the meanest one and the saddest one is that the people who own the businesses often don't get very good advice. And they enter into the marketplace believing that their business is worth far more than it really is. They don't have an understanding of what kind of rate of return the buyer needs to get out of the deal. And so they end up pricing themselves away from who I call the reasonable buyer, the person who has good credit experience in the industry, access to capital, etc. And they waste time dealing with people who who don't know what they're doing and are, are talking with them and maybe even making offers, which they then can't get financed because the numbers don't work at the price point they're trying to achieve.
0: I love what you said there. And I want to dig a little bit deeper in one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is really important for real estate investors to understand, in particular, if they're looking at investment property for commercial businesses. You may have an existing business where the owner wants to bifurcate the asset. Maybe they want to sell the real estate as part of a business sale. And like you said, the business is not generating sufficient cash flow to afford the asset as well as the business itself what do you do in those situations is there a viable business sale for the real estate what how do you how do you unwind that
1: when i'm working with sellers and i find a situation like this the first thing i have to do is is educate the business owner that the real estate and the business are two completely separate assets that are valued in different ways and show them that part of the profit of their business is actually the operating income of the building that any investor would expect to achieve if they owned the building and leasing the space. And so then we have a question, does the seller have time to fix things? Because if they have time to properly address the business and make it work and increase that rate of return, then there may be an opportunity to sell the business and keep the real estate as a, as a more passive kind of asset. or sell the business to one person who signs a lease and then sell the real estate to maybe a REIT or some other kind of entity that that wants to collect rent. But if there is no time left to fix the business, then often what ends up happening is I say, look, the, the, the most expedient way for you to exit this scenario is to look for someone to buy the building or even lease the space and then liquidate the assets of the business. And it's really a shame because A lot of the times, people have no idea how poorly they're doing. When you go to a CPA to get your financial statements done, the the CPA's job is to record what happened in the business so that you can file your tax returns and other government documents correctly. And they do a great job at this. But what most CPAs are not are finance professionals. So, over at a bigger company, you might have a finance professional who's trying to figure out what the return on equity in a business is or what kind of internal rate of return is being generated on the equity. Much more complex questions talking about efficiency of the returns in the business. This is simply outside the the scope of of knowledge for most small business owners. So what happens is if the business owner isn't actually paying attention to rates of return and what kind of return on equity that they're getting. They can become lulled into a sense of security as their debts are paid off because they're still earning an amount of money they feel is a reasonable income from the business but they're not looking at it from the point of view of how well their investment is working for them what kind of rate of return they're getting they start to earn less than they should and they may not even be aware
0: i've seen that so many times i've seen businesses where the business owner says i'm not doing any digital marketing all of my business comes through word of mouth through referrals And like you said, that business is stagnating. They are that zombie business. And all it would take is a small investment, even a moderate investment in digital marketing, something that's outside their expertise. And they don't want to make that investment because it involves doing something new at a time when the business in their mind is in its sunset. And so they don't necessarily want to have to invest more in order to sell the business.
1: What's interesting is that that business represents an opportunity for someone who's knowledgeable in those areas to grow the business. When those kinds of opportunities exist, where people could invest in newer technology or newer marketing techniques to grow the business, that's the exact moment when there's an opportunity for someone newer and younger to take over the business. The problem exists with the seller in having a realistic expectation of what they can sell the business for. And here's the other thing that happens once a business once a business owner decides that they want to sell business there tends to be this attitude change where the foot can come off the pedal a little bit and the efforts that a business owner would normally do to bring in business tend to decline and so we often have a battle against time it's almost as though we've decided we're going to sell the business now and we have now this time limit to sell it before the new attitude and activities of the owner start to have an impact on the performance of the business and this is one of the things that catches a lot of business owners off guard because they believe that when they decide that they're ready to sell the business that they're going to be able to simply call up a broker or someone like myself and find a buyer relatively quickly and do a deal The reality is is that businesses sell when the business is ready to be sold. And oftentimes, I meet people who want to sell, and they simply haven't done all the work to prepare themselves. Things like having all of their financial disclosure in proper order, but also things like organizing themselves, having things like organizational charts, job descriptions, operations, manuals, all of that kind of thing in order. When a business is properly organized and you can demonstrate to a buyer how exactly the business is run what ends up happening is you expand the field of potential buyers the wider the field of buyers the more quickly you're going to find someone who wants to do the deal. If none of that organizational work has been done, then basically the seller has to find someone with almost the same experience and knowledge who happens to be younger who wants to buy that kind of business. And of course there are far fewer of those people out there ready to do a deal.
0: I love that. And that resonates very strongly with me. I've seen that with many, many different businesses. And I suppose the same psychology exists even for someone who's looking to sell a piece of commercial real estate. That same taking their foot off the gas would apply even selling a commercial property.
1: Yeah, I can, I can see that. You know, not putting in the effort to fill the empty spot or, or what have you, or maybe deference in kind of maintenance that's required.
0: Exactly. Well, fascinating discussion, David. Folks want to get in touch, and if they want to learn a bit more, what's the best way?
1: The best place to go is to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com. From there, there are links to different websites they have on either buying or selling, or links to my YouTube channel, which has hundreds of videos, most of them answering questions submitted by people who simply have a question about how deals are done, or the best ways to finance or manage a small and medium-sized business. There's literally dozens of hours of content there that's uh, free to enjoy. And I would encourage people to come on over take a look. And if you're interested in deals about small business, sign up for my email list while you're there.
0: So I love that. Definitely reach out to David at davidcbarnett.com. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.